Okay, if you would open up to uh, Hebrews chapter 6 where we left off last time, we kind of ended up in verse 9. I'll back up a few verses for context. Now I want to finish chapter 6 and all of chapter 7 because chapter 7 is kind of one thought. Chapter 6, if I just finish it, it's not going to be enough because it's not going to be. And chapter 7 is a lot, but it's kind of one thought and I don't want to interrupt it. So let's start starting, okay? Let's pray. Father, I pray, pray you'd bless. And I don't want to do a sloppy job of this. I mean, I want to cover the things that you'd want us to cover. So help, and Lord, bless in only a way that you can. Deep calleth unto deep. You can speak to those inner recesses of our being in a way that I never could. So help us, Lord, to get this to understand, to be blessed, and to grow thereby. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's just jump up to verse 4. It's impossible for those who are once enlightened have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. We talked about, he's talking to Hebrew Christians, don't go back, there's nothing back there for you. They were putting up with family pressures like you do after you got saved. And they were thinking of turning back, like sometimes you do when the going gets tough. Uh, I say you, I mean you and I. We understand. Uh, we've all had these uh, ideas. And he's saying, it's a trap, don't go back. Uh, there's nothing there for you. And how, do you, how will you reestablish yourself? You're going back to, from Christianity back to Judaism. For what reason? And he looks in verse 7, the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh off upon it and bringeth forth, forth herbs, meat for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. That's a strange agriculture right there, right? But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected is nigh into cursing, whose end is to be burned. It's an e easy choice, blessing or cursing. And that's what he's putting before them. In verses 4 through 7, that's what he's putting before them. Hey, it's an easy choice, easy peasy. You want blessing, you want cursing. Follow God, follow through. Don't turn back now. You're on the path of blessing. Or you want to go back? That's, that's a curse. That's thorns. That's, that's burned. That's, there's nothing to that. And, he's, and so this is what he's saying. But beloved, I told you about the us and them of this whole thing. Beloved, we are persuaded better things of you. And things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. And the whole passage here is on salvation. I'm in the way of life now. Should I go back? Well, you're thinking, for those Jewish Christians, that's a bad idea. But don't worry about Jewish Christians who lived 2,000 years ago. <laughs> worry about your own stuff. Worry about your own family. Worry about your own friends, your own the sphere of influence. Don't go back. There's nothing to it. And this is why I was studying. I mean, who wants to, you know, we, we tonight we're studying Leviticus. Who cares? 4,000-year-old priests uh, who get uh, blood on their right ear and blood on their thumb and blood on their right toe and then oil on their right ear and on their right thumb and the great toe of their right foot. And you're thinking, who cares? Oh, is really, really important when we understand we're priests and we understand what that's all about. 
We, I mean, listen, it's all about us at the end of the day. It's all about God and God's working among us is probably a better way to say it. It's always all about God. It's always all about Jesus Christ. As we study through Leviticus, we see this. I'm not interested in history. I, I am very interested in history, but not to teach it on a Sunday. This has to do with us. Beloved, you, we're persuaded of better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. Keep pressing on. Now, what is this? God is not unrighteous to get your works and labor of love. We, we, we're working hard, we're laboring, we're working up the sweat, we're earning our salvation. None of it. <laughs> None of it. it. You might at first blush think that, but your, your, your work, your labor of love, uh, you've ministered to the saints and you do minister, that just shows who you are. It doesn't make you who you are. And we always have to, I always stop and I have to want to sort through this because there's always a tendency for people to think because America thinks we do good, you get heaven. I was, Moose Hutton, and the guy who, our guide, he was ridiculous. He was very good at guiding. He just wasn't very good at life. <laughs> he had miserable relationship. He smoked like a chimney. He drank like a fish. He swore like a sailor. He was just ridiculous. And he was showing us his theology and his philosophy, and he said something about like, well, I do this because, you know, that guy ran out of gas and I gave him, you know, some gas and stuff. Because I'm thinking, you know, that's going to count when I'm standing before God. And, and of course, you know how that works. Hell, I remember you gave somebody gasoline. Come on in. What kind of ridiculous theology that everyone shares in America? That's, that's some gasoline. Gas can't get you right to heaven. Don't think because you minister to saints and you do minister that you earn salvation. That just shows who you are. I, I think baptism is the best example. Will baptism save you? That's ridiculous. No, what, the scripture knows nothing of that. So then why do we get baptized? Because we want to show who we are. We want to show that we follow Jesus Christ in the waters of baptism. It's like putting on a uniform doesn't make you a soldier. Wearing uniform shows the world that you are a soldier. You can go buy a uniform at the Army-Navy surplus store and it won't help you at all. Because it won't induct you into some sort of branches of service. But people who walk around in uniforms, that generally shows they're in the service. And that's, I just want to show that. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. Stick with it. There's hope. We're on the right team. And he's going to illustrate that tremendously in chapter 7. That ye be not slothful. Don't give up now. But followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now I want to talk about hope here back in verse 11. Hope scriptural isn't hope like you hope your team makes the playoffs. You hope, you buy a lottery ticket hoping that you'll win money. That's not hope scripturally. Hope is a certainty that hasn't happened yet. The blessed hope is the return of Jesus Christ. Is Jesus Christ coming back? Oh yeah! Oh yeah, absolutely! Is it, well, I hope he's coming back. Well, I, I, I hope so too. But it's not that it, it's in doubt. 
It's not that there's, why, gee, I wonder if he's coming. Oh, I, uh. No, no, no. Jesus, come back. Relax. It's a certainty. And we have a hope that he will, a blessed hope. But it's not. The outcome is never in question when we're talking about God. That's what it means to have hope. With that in mind, don't, don't quit now. Don't be lazy now. Press on till the end. For when God made promise to Abraham, we're talking, this, this, this still is in the context of salvation from verse 9. Beloved, we have persuaded better things for you, things that accompany salvation. What are the things that accompany salvation? Hope, faith, in verse 12, patience, inheriting the promises. What promises? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Verse 13. And when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. What promise? Well, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Because we talked about patience. It's one of the things that accompanies salvation. Obtaining promises, is that something that accompanies salvation? Yes. What's the big promise? as far as Abraham's concerned. I mean, you know, come out, I'm going to show you this land, I'm going to give you this land, I'm going to multiply you, and blessing I will bless thee, and those who, you know, bless you will be blessed, and those who curse you will be cursed. I mean, there's like a multifaceted promise, but at the, at the heart of it is eternal life, because this is still in the context of eternity. Come out from that land of us, or er, er, us, thinking Job. Ur of the Chaldees. Get out of there. That's a death place. Come on over here. The promised land. I'm going to, and there was a coming out of and an entering in. Isn't that a picture of salvation for all of us? Come out from among them and be ye separate and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you, saith the Lord of hosts. There's an out of Egypt into the promised land-ness to this whole idea. And that we see in Scripture over and over and over again. And this is uh, the picture um, uh, of blessing, of multiplying. And he patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Men verily swear by the greater, an oath of confirmation is to them an end of all strife. So I tell you something, you say, that's outrageous. Is that true? I say, yeah, it's true. And swear it. Well, if I, <laughs> my word should be good enough. I'm a Calvary chapel, chapel pastor after all. But okay, I swear it. I swear to God that such and such is so. That has to end it, doesn't it? I can't, what else do I got? You know, when you go to, and I don't say that we do this. I don't say that you rock around swearing this and swearing that. Have, have you run into these people? Because I have. Oh, I swear to God, I swear to God. Oh, I swear to God. They're probably telling the truth, and they most often lie. And now they're trying to use God to gain them credence. That's how I always look at it. If yes should be yes, no should be no, and our word should be our bond. But there are times when we take an oath. Does any, can anyone think of some? When you're in a court of law, you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help you God. They take the so help you God out. And I say, so help me God. <laughs> you know, that's what I do. And even when it's just a hearing for like unemployment or something, <laughs> I'm going to invoke the name of God even if you don't. That's how I roll. And if they rebuke me, I don't care. What are you going to do? Sue me? It's an oath. Because somebody's 
life is on the line, somebody's guilt or somebody's innocent, it, it's a time for no. Well, God, he's saying, hey, Abraham, I'm going to do this. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to multiply you. I'm going to give you the land. I'm going to make you a blessing. And you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. So help me, me. He couldn't swear by anything greater. Why, why is God like that? He, he, he wanted to end all the strife. Because men verily swear by the greater, an oath of confirmation is them and end the strife. What strife? I, I think the strife that's going on inside Abraham. God promised by his own name. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of the promise, read here, the heirs of salvation. And by the way, when he's talking to these Hebrews and he's tracking with Abraham, you know they'll come to the front and say, whoa, Abraham, and they're all listening. Right? You too. We're children of Abraham. Galatians lays that out for us in no uncertain terms. As a matter of fact, Galatians says, we're more the seed of Abraham than his genetic, physical seed. Because it's his, his prodigy, his, his, his inheritance is those who have faith in Jesus Christ. Not, his, not people who happen to have his bloodline. Many of, of his people have his bloodline. And I'm not anti-Semitic are not going to heaven. They're not inheriting the promises because they're not receiving them by faith. And they're not receiving Jesus Christ. God, he's willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. What an immutability. What's this all about? Unchanging. I have a note here that says the permanent character of his word. It doesn't change. It never changes. Society changes. Science changes. Our philosophy changes. Right and wrong changes. I mean, in our society, and not in the, at the throne of God. God, you know how what an insult would be like for say that God changed His mind. Like well, I didn't know all I know now, and now that you put it in that light, hmm, I see it better now. I'll do that if you show me where I was wrong. I can, I can, but I'm not God. Now, when it says God repented, it means because you did thus and such, and now there's new circumstances, I choose to react in this way. It doesn't mean he changed his mind. It means he changed his direction because if you continued on, there was a certain judgment. But if, since you've repented, now, you see, he said, okay, I'll, um, new circumstances. But he didn't change his mind in the sense of like realize something that he hadn't known before. When God pro promised Abraham, do you see, th this is why I'm not anti-Semitic. This is why I don't believe in replacement theology. A lot of churches do. As a matter of fact, the majority of churches do, but I don't. Why? Because God's immutable. You hope, don't you? Because he made promises to a guy named Abraham. God's promises to Abraham aren't good. By the way, they were unilateral and unconditional. And he's made promises to us. And if God is not a God of his word, then what are we, what are we doing here? There's fish to be caught. There's chores to be, wood to be brought in, and what are we doing here? If God's word changes, if God's promises aren't yea and amen, if God isn't true, what's the sense of any of this? No, no, no. Listen, his promise is immutable, his counsel is confirmed by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation. God doesn't lie. He can't lie. We're told in other scriptures. We have strong consolation. We have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. We're on the right team. So you, you, you join Team Jesus. You're, 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 you have hold of eternal life. Jesus is coming back. 
and we're on the winning side. Hey, hey, don't quit now. Don't quit now. And look at what the, the thing is. Because God has promised it. Because the challenge, hey, let's go back. What are you thinking? You don't have the temple. You don't have priesthood. You don't have any. What do you think? God put the law in place for no reason at all? Hey, we'll address that this morning. What do you think? God put the priesthood in place for no reason at all? Hey, we'll address that here this morning. The right is going to talk up on all those things. Don't turn back. You're on the right team. You're on, you, you've, you've fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have is an anchor to our soul, both sure and steadfast, steadfast, which entereth into that within the veil. What do you mean? You know how an anchor works. You can't see it. It's working. <laughs> it's below. You can't see it, right? It's below the water. It's, doing, it's, it's holding you in a certain place. We have an anchor to our soul. It's that which is in the veil, within the veil. What veil? The veil. The one that separates the holy place from the most holy place. What's the most holy place? The holiest of holies. Well, in both the tabernacle and the temple, it's the presence of God. We have an anchor that holds us in the presence of God. Those who do temple sacrifices and stuff like that, they never go there. As a matter of fact, only the high priest and him only once a year. You as a worshiper, I sin, and you come in the sky, he makes this big, and he's sacrificing all this stuff for you. You're never within the veil. We, we live there, and that's the point being made here. We have a hope uh, as an anchor of our soul, it's sure, it's steadfast, and it's inside the veil, whether the forerunner is for us, entered even Jesus. What's holding us within the veil? What's putting us in the presence of God? What is the anchor? Well, it's Jesus Christ himself who sits at the right hand of the Father who ever makes intercession for us. People say, hey, go back. It was better before. What are you talking about? My Lord, my Savior, Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God making intercession for me. That never happened before. I'm supposed to go back to some type, some shadow, some... That's on the face of it is absurd. And that's the point. He's Jesus Christ, who made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Remember, he started this whole discussion a couple chapters ago. He said, I'd like to talk to you about Melchizedek, but you're too, you, you can't receive it. Well, he's put all the things in place for us to receive it now. And now he's going to enter into a discussion of Melchizedek, which to me is an amazing thing, especially the way he goes with it. It's something that I would never figure out. And I'll show you. For this Melchizedek, he's the king of Salem. Now you remember, Genesis chapter 14, you had the kings, Chedorlaomer and the four kings with him. They come down from the north. They take over these cities, Sodom and Gomorrah and others, and they carry away all the people captives and a big booty, and they, off they go. Well, Abraham has his nose out of joint because Lot, his nephew is in Sodom and Gomorrah. He gets taken captive. So Abraham goes after with 318 of his servants and just routes them. Just They're having a bad day when Abraham gets done. He, and he rescues all the people and he brings back all the, all the booty, all the, all the trophies of war, as it were, the spoils. And, and he meets this man called Melchizedek. And you know Melchizedek's a Christ type because he's there, he meets Abraham and he has bread and wine. And the Holy Spirit all does that very often, kind of connects the dots for us. Bread and wine, I know a bread and wine guy, oh, it's Christ. And so now some people, and there's a big debate 
Okay, you can debate with me. I'll take either side you want because I keep vacillating back and forth. There's some saying Melchizedek is a Christ type. Well, that is certainly evident. Some people say he's very Christ himself in a pre-incarnate manifestation. You can have either side of the argument. I, I, like I say, I go back and forth. Which would you believe? I actually believe he's Jesus Christ in a pre-incarnate. But I, but I could be wrong. And I'll show you why some people believe this and some people believe that. But he's the priest of Salem. He's the king of Salem. He's a priest of the Most High God. We see that in verse 1. He met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings, and he blessed him. Blessed him is very, very important for us, because remember that. To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being, uh, by interpretation, king of righteousness. We said that. Melchizedek means king of righteousness. And after that, also king of Salem, which is king of peace. So we have this this mystery man who's the king of righteousness. Do you know anyone who's king of righteousness? Well, Jesus Christ is. Who's the king of peace? Well, Jesus Christ is. So it's a picture of Jesus Christ, or very Christ. Again, whether you decide either one. This isn't heretical. Godly men are on both sides of this. And it's one of these friendly debates. We're not, we're not splitting over this, okay? Churches don't. It's... You can think this way, you can think this way. God bless you. But uh, So Abraham gave a tenth. He gave a tithe. Now here, most people start in on a diatribe of tithing and you must, and this is before the law and all, hundreds of years before. And I don't think that's the point. I mean, I mean, it's mentioned here, but I don't think that's the point of why, why, where, the, where the, the author of Hebrews isn't mentioning this to get you to tithe. He's trying to show you something. Abraham paid tithes to this man Melchizedek, right? Who, who, by the way, is the king of righteousness, the king of peace. Now, what about Melchizedek? He's in two verses, three, okay, in chapter 14 of Genesis. And then he shows up in Psalm 110 for a verse. That's it. You don't have to have a lot of scripture written about you to be a very important person. Now, what about verse 3? He's without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God. He abideth a priest continually. That's what you have to know about Melchizedek. Would you have read that in chapter 14 and come away with all that? It's a very Jewish way of looking at it, is it not? He doesn't have a father. He doesn't have a mother. He doesn't have any children. He doesn't have beginning of days. He doesn't have end of life. Would you have read that into that? The writer of Hebrews does, and he exploits all that. couple of verses about Melchizedek. Um, well, wait a second. Jesus had a father, has a father, and Jesus had a mother. What, what are we talking about here? Um, okay, when we talk about the sonship of Jesus Christ, I want you to understand something. We don't have like Daddy God who loved a mother God, goddess, and very much, and then little child... God was born. No. No. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all eternal. We understand that? Okay? There's no debating that. The opposite team is heresy, okay? Now, when we talk about Jesus had a mother. He had an earthly mother, okay? You ever hear the phrase mother of God? I don't like that phrase. Why? It's not scriptural. And then people attack me and they'll say, oh, you don't believe Jesus is, is divine? You don't believe Je- the deity of Jesus Christ? Well, of course I believe that. But Mary is not the mother of his divinity. 
Only the mother of his humanity. And yes, Jesus is divine. We know that. We got that. We're not ambiguous or ambivalent about that. We know about the divinity of Jesus Christ. And this wonderful lady, godly young lady, said yes to the, to the angel Gabriel and had birth Jesus Christ in the world. And I don't take anything away from that. Is she the mother of God? Uh, I don't think so. She's the mother of the human Jesus Christ, who is divine, okay? But not when Jesus started, she was there first having baby Jesus. No, it didn't work that way. He, he's eternal. She wasn't. Isn't. Is now in eternity. You with me? Uh, yeah, I know. I, I'm confusing my own self. Hey, so the picture is Melchizedek, no father, no mother. Did he really have a father and a mother? Well, if he's not a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, he did, because we don't just spontaneously show up on the planet. Did he have any children? We don't know. Here, the picture is that he didn't. He doesn't have beginning of days. He just shows up. We don't know about his birth. We don't have to see the end of his life. He's a picture of Jesus Christ. He's, he's <clears throat> made like unto the Son of God. And some people say the language here means that he can't be the Son of God. He's only made like unto him. And if that's what you want to believe, that's fine. Okay? It doesn't make you a heretic. Sometimes I believe that too. But he abideth a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was. Because you don't consider it when you read chapter 14 of Genesis naturally, neither do I. But I want you, the writer of Hebrews says, consider what a great man he was. He's a great man. He showed up with some wine, some bread, gives it to uh, Abraham. Abraham pays him a tithe, and Melchizedek blesses him. Two verses. Wow. What an awesome guy. Oh, no. No, no, no. He's very awesome. Uh, consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. He gave him a tithe, right? Why is that important? I'm going to show you that. And verily, they that are the sons of Levi, who receive the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law. That is, of their brethren, uh, though they came out of the loins of Abraham. But he whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises. Who had the promises, Melchizedek or Abraham? Abraham did. And Melchizedek blessed him, and Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. Is that important? Without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. Wait a second. Don't you give us an ironic priesthood uh, blessing at the end of the service? What are you saying? You're greater? No, not at all. Greater in position. That's what the point is. Is Melchizedek greater than Abraham? Yeah. Um, positionally, and if he's Jesus Christ, obviously so. But positionally, Levitical people uh, blessed, you know, th that was the high priest, uh, uh, said that blessing. Is he greater than all the people? Positionally. Not, in, what about when it was Caiaphas? Was he greater than all the people when he pronounced the, uh, that blessing on the people? He was a weasel. He was a bad, bad man. Greater positionally because of his, his office. That's all it's saying, okay? And without all contradiction, less is blessed of the better. And that's the thing, if, if I say he's actually Jesus Christ reincarnate, <laughs> the, the greater blesses the less. Don't, don't make no mistake about it. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is telling us. Here men, uh, uh, and here men that die receive tithes. 
but there he receiveth them of whom it is witness that he liveth. And as I may so say, Levi also who received tithes paid tithes in Abraham, but he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. <laughs> That's convoluted. That's very Jewish, and I shouldn't say convoluted and Jewish in the same sentence. We wouldn't think like that. We're in the West. We don't think like that. Look, at Abraham had a son. His name was Isaac. Isaac had a son. His name was Jacob. Jacob uh, was Abraham's grandson. Jacob had a son named Levi. That would be Abraham's great-grandson. Levi is in Abraham at the time, at least conceptually, at the time when Abraham is paying tithes to Melchizedek. The picture that the writer exploits is Levi in Abraham is paying tithes to Melchizedek because the lesser is paying tithes to the greater. Is that something you'd come up with reading Genesis 14? Because I sure wouldn't. And he's saying, because here's the whole argument. Come back. It's a trap. Don't follow Jesus. He's not even Levitical. What we got priesthood over here. We got the high priest. We got Yom Kippur. We've got all the Passover. You got nothing. And he's saying, no, no, no. We got the real deal. Your little Levitical priest, he was paying tithes to our eternal priest. And that's the point that it's kind of hard to come at. Isn't it a little bit all by ourselves? We might not get there but this is this is what's so important here because this is uh how, how the writer here is 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 he's tying all the loose ends together as it were um levi also received tithes paid tithes in abraham he was in the loins of his father when melchizedek met him if therefore perfection were by the levitical priesthood for under it the people received the law what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? Jesus isn't Levitical. He's not. If you keep following Aaron's children, whose children, whose children, Jesus is never in that lineage at all. He's not Levitical. He's of the tribe of Judah. We understand that. And that's a point against him in the thinking of these people. And the writer saying, no, it makes him way better. He's not after the order of Aaron. He's after the order of Melchizedek. If Levitical priesthood was all that, why would God bring his other Melchizedek priesthood to the front? For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe, of which no man gave attendance at the altar, for it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. Again, as I say, that's a strike against him in the thinking of a lot of people. Do you know in Psalm 110, and we'll see that in a couple more verses, well, I'll wait, I'll get there when I get there. And it is yet far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there arises another priest. After the similitude of Aaron, the calf maker, the one who died, you, we read about Aaron's death. We don't read about Melchizedek's death. Conceptually, he didn't. And maybe, actually, factually, he didn't. Are you with me? You, okay, okay. But Jesus is after the order of Melchizedek, who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life, at least conceptually, again. For he testified, thou art, 
For he testified, thou art priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Who testified? Well, David did in Psalm 110. For thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, speaking of the Messiah, prophesying of the Messiah. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Aaron. Hey, this is your scriptures, you Jewish people. What are you turning back to Judaism? Don't you understand that the Messiah had to be of the tribe of Judah? Don't you understand he had to be after the order of Melchizedek? It's written right here. And that's the point. Hey, guys, you're on the right team. I don't know if you thought that through. Uh, you know, earlier when he talks about Melchizedek, he says, like, we have a priest, and he's not, it's not like he can't be touched by the feelings of our infirmities. And I think of Jesus' priesthood, I think of this. He knows when I'm going, he's feeling me. He said, Adam, I get it. I totally get it. I understand. And he's right at the right hand of God, ever living to make intercession for me, for you, for us. Is that incredible? Is that, somebody can say amen or something if you want to, hallelujah, praise the Lord or something. Isn't that incredible? Aaron doesn't do that. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the, for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. He, he talked about, and I kind of skipped over it, uh, verse 16, who was made not after the law of a carnal commandment. His, his is uh, uh, he, uh, the power of an endless life. And here... We're talking about disannulling of the commandment going before of the weakness and unprofitableness of that. Because the arguments come back to the law. And his thing is, the law, it's carnal. It's, it's weak. Unprofitableness. These are the words describing the law. Look at verse 19. The law made nothing perfect. That's a great place for me. Amen. Listen, 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 listen. The law made nothing perfect. People come to me all the time. Should I keep the law? Um, should I hold my breath and walk from America to Europe underwater? If you got that, go ahead. Should I keep the law? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it won't make you perfect. It perfectly will show you that you're a lawbreaker. And it won't get you to heaven. The big argument all the time is Sabbatarians. Hey, you got to keep the Sabbath. Why, you don't. Uh, yeah, I'm not talking against the law. Never, never in a million years. Your spouse hopes you'll not break the uh, 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 you, uh, seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. I always remember the seventh, don't scratch the seven-year itch. I, I, I'm thinking, yeah, your spouse doesn't want you to, yeah, do keep the law. It's good. It's a good law. It comes from the heart of God. But it's, it's designed us to show you that you're, a, a, look at the laws given, Exodus chapter 20. What happens in Exodus chapter 22? Hey, let's talk about the tabernacle and let's talk about how to sacrifice. Why? Oh, because I just gave you the law. You're going to need that, that blood and sheep and priesthood and incense and the whole, the whole shooting match. The law makes nothing perfect. Yeah, go ahead and keep it. I, I, I'm not, uh, listen, I'm not telling you to be a lawbreaker. You shouldn't steal. You should honor your parents. You really should. Uh, I don't think you should bear false witness. And you surely shouldn't covet. These are good things. God's good. 
you do the things that he wants you to do, that's a, that's a healthy way to live your life. You can't do it. Why? Because <laughs> you're like me. You got flesh. You got, I don't know, we take stupid pills or something? I, I say choose to sin, choose to suffer. That should cure it once and for all, right? <laughs> you think? You think I struggle with sin? Well, yeah, only every day. Right? I tell you about the law, it made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did. By the which we draw nigh unto God. What do you mean draw dry nigh unto God? Our, our, our Savior is at the very right hand of God. That's not drawing nigh. It's, our, our hope brings us with that anchor, brings us within the veil. Isn't that drawing nigh unto God? Isn't He available? Isn't he like an arm's length God? Is he like right handy to us? Do we have to make some pilgrimage to some Tibetan, climb some and see some guru who will... No, he's, he's a... He lives inside, the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of us. How intimate, how close is that? The law, it made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did by the which we draw nigh unto God. Inasmuch as not without an oath he was made priest, okay? For those priests were made without an oath. There's no oath, because we'll read, it was last week and we'll finish off this week, we'll talk about Aaron and his sons being, there's no oath, you're a priest. His blood, his oil, no oath. But this, with an oath by him that said unto him, the Lord swear and will not repent, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. God oathed it. He swore it to Jesus Christ. You're a priest forever. After the order of Aaron? No. After the order of Melchizedek. It's a very compelling argument, is it not? And we understand as we see as we work through it. It's Levitical? I mean, we're staying in Leviticus. You'll see the, the weaknesses, the flaws in the system. So you sin, right? You bring a lamb. Does that cure you forever? Lamb's dead. You're still alive. Whew. The wages of sin is death. Somebody, something had to die. But the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin, we understand, from this very book, Hebrews. We, I need something more permanent. I mean, think about Yom Kippur, right? Seventy, seventy sacrifices before the big sacrifice. They pick a, a, the goat between the two. One's the scapegoat, one's the one that's actually going to be sacrificed. The scapegoat, they put their hands on and they let it out to the wilderness, never be seen again. The idea is your sins, your sins, your iniquity, I will remember no more. As far as the east is from the west. The other one, the other goat, well, he gets whacked. He's all done because the wages of sin is death. Imagine the high priest going into the Holy of Holies this one time in the year, and he sprinkles the blood on the mercy seat. What happens if he's doing it wrong or doesn't do all the right? They're going to drag him out of there by a rope. They can't go in after him if he tips over. Imagine he does this, performs his duties, and he comes back out, and you had a bad year, <laughs> like me. <laughs> and he comes out, and you go, He's bad. He didn't t tip over. Yay. God accepted our sacrifice. By the way, Jesus' resurrection from the dead. God accepted our sa the sacrifice on our behalf. 
So the high priest comes out. You say, whoa. Thank God. Thank you, Lord. Now you're good forever. No, you're going to be right back next year doing Yom Kippur all over again. It wasn't a perfect system. It was never meant to be. It's a picture of Jesus Christ who did the perfect sacrifice once for all time. We'll see that. But so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. Better covenant read here. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. You're dismissed from duty if you, if you die, okay? It's like a note from your doctor. You don't have to do this anymore. It wasn't a continuing thing because they ran into the, the fact that people are mortal. But this man, who, who? Jesus Christ, because he continueth forever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Isn't that great? He, he's never going to die. He's at the right hand of God. Getting older? Not at all. Not at all. Getting more, like I, I turned 60 yesterday. Ugh. I'm fe- Thank you. I am feeling 60. <laughs> I'm just telling you, okay? Uh, hard work last few days. Uh, just, okay. Just, I, I can tell you stories. I just getting older and older and older. Jesus getting older? Not at all. He doesn't age. He's outside of time. Me doddering. Just, I had a once delightful mind. Very sharp. Now, nah, not so much. What happens? Hey, age. Age happens. That's what happens. This man, he's, he, he, he continues ever. He is an unchangeable priesthood. Wherein he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Hang on to that verse. It's impossible that those who are once enlightened have tasted the heavenly gift, who made partakers of the Holy Ghost, they have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. They fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify themselves as the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Those are, in some people's thinking, those who have lost his salvation. What about you? He's able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by Him. Have I done that? Oh yeah, I have. Seeing He ever liveth to make intercession for them. My salvation is built on pretty amazing stuff. The continuing priesthood of Jesus Christ. His promises. And He couldn't lie if He wanted to. And He doesn't want to. He saved me. He keeps me. I, I don't know. Because if your argument is, well, you think you're so high and mighty and you think you're going to be going to heaven when you die. Uh, uh, my, my eternity is built on faith in Jesus Christ. Are you telling me to have less faith in Him? That's going to fall on deaf ears. He ever liveth to make intercession for me. I don't know everything. I know that. For such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separated from sinners. Is that true of Aaron? No, he was a sinner. And they always had to make atonement for themselves first, and then they could atone for the people. Which I understand that, being a priest my own self. I can't, I gotta deal with my own stuff before I start ministering to other people. You always have to. God won't let you be hypocritical, and I'm gonna live in sin, and I'm gonna bless you with the word. He never would let that happen. Never would. So I understand that. But Jesus Christ, no problem. 
He, he doesn't have to make any uh, sacrifice of his own self. He's separate from sinners. And he's made high in the heavens. Who needeth not daily as those priests to offer up sacrifice first for their own sins and then for the people's. This he did once when he offered up himself. Once for all means once here. Means once for all time. I know. I know. Catholic idea. They have mass and they continue to offer up. They call it the unbloody sacrifice of Jesus Christ. How dare you? How dare you? There's a once for all as to this. He did that. It is finished. I don't have to go down this road again. We don't have to do this. My blood, Jesus would say, is powerful enough to forgive everyone all time forever once. I, he, he, amen. He doesn't, ha- you understand. Okay. For the law maketh men high priests, which have infirmity. What happened? They get old. Tell me about it, right? But the word of the oath, what's that oath? I have made uh, the Lord swear and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That oath, which was since the law, maketh the son who is consecrated forevermore. I hope you understand today. You are in good shoes. You are in a good place. You are the envy of all. We're, we're in Christ. We're the bride of Jesus Christ. Is that an enviable place? Listen. John the Baptist called himself the friend of the bridegroom in our vernacular, the best man. Was he the bride? No. No. He was the best man. Now, I had a bride, have a bride, and I had a best man. They're different. <laughs> the blessing is to the bride. Well, if you think being married to me is a blessing, and if you don't, you're probably more correct. But remember, our bridegroom is Jesus Christ. Okay? And would you rather be the best man? Would you rather be the bride? We are in an enviable position. Don't turn back now. Don't turn back now. Don't get, don't get slothful now. We get everything working for us. Let's pray. Our worship, worship team will come. Father and God, we thank you for this vital word to us this morning. You're better than good. I mean, you really are. This salvation you've given us is breathtaking. Your promises are sure. You couldn't lie. We get it. And you've told us over and over that you love us, that you want us to be with you, that we're your very own. We praise and thank you. Now, may the Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make His face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up His countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Amen. It is our desire to get God's Word out to all, so our podcasts and everything else downloaded from our website is free. But we do have expenses, and if you feel led to give a dollar for this resource, please go ahead and click the Give tab on our website at plowboyministries.org. Grace and peace. And everything I want out dear, I count.